As a publisher, do you spend a lot of time thinking about how to wrestle control over your tech stacks? Then we have a summit coming up for you. Join us at the Digiday Programmatic Media Summit in New Orleans, Louisiana from November 13 to November 15. We're hosting publishers from across the industry to talk about what they're doing in their newsrooms to tackle the challenges that Programmatic presents. It's three days of great ideas, discussion groups, and more. Register now at digiday.com slash events. And we're giving a $200 discount to our podcast listeners. Just apply the code podcast at checkout. This is Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Digiday producer Aditi Sango. This week, we're playing sessions from our Digiday Publishing Summit, Europe in Berlin, Germany. Media is under scrutiny like never before. From spoof domains to ad fraud to fake news, it's hard to tell what is real and what is not. We explored how publishers can use trust to better control their futures from the duopoly and the race to the bottom. The modern digital publisher is looking into more than one kinds of revenue streams. For David Fisher, CEO and founder of High Snowbody, the lifestyle brand started as a passion blog. Today, as street subculture has turned into a pop culture, the brand has exploded. But the challenges of being a digital publisher don't go away. High Snowbody does a lot of content marketing serving as an agency for many brands. Digiday Editor-in-Chief Brian Morrissey explores that side of the business with David Fisher in the following session. Listen in. So I somebody who's 12 years old, uh, started as a passion blog by myself back then, uh, writing about the things that I was, uh, you know, that was into at the time, which were mostly obscure, limited edition sneakers, Japanese streetwear, you know, th things that at the time at least were really not that big of a thing. And... Um, You know, gladly we're still around. 12 years later, speaking to a style-savvy, um, young, culturally connected man. Uh, I would say, you know, target audience probably 16 to 30 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, globally, you know, that's... Right. So basically started as like a sneaker blog. Sneaker and streetwear blog, I would right. say. Yeah. And between the time it started and now, that's kind of like exploded. So, yeah, I mean... I guess you could say we got lucky on several fronts. You know? So uh, obviously sneakers and streetwear both exploded over the last decade. Um, I mean, I remember when I started writing about sneakers, it was, it was really this niche, obscure thing that not that many people were interested in. And uh, I mean, obviously nowadays everybody uh, wears sneakers. You know? And uh, so it's really not that much of a phenomenon anymore, anymore as it was back then. And streetwear as well, you know, like you have high fashion moving into streetwear, you had uh, the mass market, uh, high street retailers moving into street fashion, you know, a hoodie, a graphic t-shirt, a cap is part of, you know, any collection nowadays. And uh, this idea of luxury streetwear was a thing that, uh, that we were also pioneering already many, many years ago, or more so that the combination of luxury fashion and streetwear together, mm -hmm. you know, was something that we spoke about 10 years ago that was very new back then, and it's the absolute norm today. Right. I mean, you look at, like, a brand like Supreme, they were, like, a skate shop in yeah. New York not that long ago, yeah. now they're valued at, like, a billion dollars or something. Literally, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's, of course, even for us incredible to see, you know, that, that it has come this far. But, uh, but I guess that's probably the, the best example to showcase how far uh, this market okay, has come. Okay, so that's the good news, that this subculture has become mainstream culture. Definitely. And you've grown along with it, and Facebook and Instagram 
push that along? I would say that's, that's the other part to it, right? I mean, on one hand, the subjects that we were speaking about, uh, you know, grew a ton over the last 10 years, and then the platforms that we were using to get to our uh, readers changed. You know, I mean, when, uh, when we started, I think, I think we started three months before YouTube was founded, you know, and uh, there was no Instagram, Facebook was not a household name, um, I, th I would say MySpace was probably just on its way out, you know, so at that time you were only promoting your brand through word of mouth, you know, there was, there was really no other way. But uh, the, the great thing was that we entered all of these platforms early, built very strong organic followings on all of them before even any sort of paid mechanism even existed. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that still allows us today to, uh, you know, to lead the conversation in our market. Okay, so how big, how big is High Somebody now? So uh, on our .com, uh, we have about 8 million uniques every month, and then if you, you know, take the social media platforms on top, we reach about 50 million unique people every month. Okay, and the mission has sort of broadened along with it, right? I mean, it's about, uh, I, I call it a lifestyle because it's, it's more than just, um, at least when I go to it, it's, it's more than just, you know, sneakers and Absolutely. sweatshirts. Absolutely, I mean, I, I guess our core topics remain to be style sneakers and today also music. Music has, has become a huge subject for us. It's our only authentic way of uh, speaking about celebrity culture as well, which, I mean, we all know works extremely well online. Um, so I would say those are the core topics, but then we really round it off with all other um, you know, things that matter in a man's lifestyle, you know, from architecture, design, uh, travel, you know, sports, all of these things also play a role, but we take a very distinct perspective in each field and, and you know, we keep it very focused. You know, mm -hmm. we, we don't try to be everybody's answer to everything, so to speak, you know. So we, we're definitely the ultimate source for style and sneakers and music for our audience, but then in these kind of topics around, I would say we really cherry pick only the very best. So, I mean, you're deep in this, in this area, but you're not like, you know, gigantic. Sure. So I would guess that, you know, making money, you're gonna you do a lot of content marketing because you know how to speak to this. this right. Uh, this yeah, audience. I mean, I, you know, we, we um, were lucky enough that we had time to build our brand, right? I mean, it's 12 years old. It's not a two-year explosive success, so to speak. You know, it's, it's been around for a while. We nurtured an audience, a community over those 12 years, and, uh, and social media allows us now to take that message much further. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's still important, you know, to underline the, you know, the fact that our brand, you know, is strong, mm -hmm. and uh, and that and that al allows you to do a bunch of different things. That allows us to do a bunch of different things, mainly because also we're in touch directly with most brands, you know, and and uh, that allowed us to, you know, enter that agency space, uh, you know, to take on a lot more services that you know connect to what we do on the media side, but are maybe not core media, so to speak. Okay, so explain, that's HS Plus, explain that. Exactly, so we, we label that High Somebody Plus, you know, which is our, you know, uh, label for our in-house studio, so to speak. And, uh, you know, so we just enter the process of talking to our brand partners now much earlier, rather than coming in only when it's all done and spoken, you know, and, and just there to distribute whatever they have created with their um, social media agency, with their... Uh, um, 
advertising agency. You know, we come now in much earlier. We really speak to our brand partners about what products they want to promote, how they want to promote it, what audience they're trying to reach. And then we take on everything from strategy to producing photo, video, copy for our channels, for their channels. We may extend that as well with an event or all sorts of other experiential activities. Um, so, you know, the, the range of services that we do nowadays has broadened quite a bit. So it's not a media I.O.? It's, it depends. It depends who right. we speak to, right? I mean, so with, um, you know, in the U.S., for example, our business is still, you know, very much driven through media agencies. Even if we, let's say, negotiate or plan the, you know, the campaign with the brand direct, mm -hmm. ultimately the media agency needs to pay for it. You know, so we still need to package everything, especially on the U.S. side, in a traditional media I.O. Uh, we, uh, and we still need to make sense on the budgetary side from a CPM perspective. You know? right. So no matter how much production goes into it, if your CPM is, uh, I don't know, $150, then you know, something is wrong, so to speak. Right. You know? yeah. And uh, it'll be pretty difficult you know, to get that through. Okay, so give me, give me an example of a campaign that you're doing now that, that brings that to life. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, so for example, we worked with New Balance uh, earlier this year. You know, one of our uh, bigger clients on the U.S. side, um, they wanted to promote the, their new 247 sneaker earlier this year. Um, and, you know, so we had a 360 campaign that included influencer seeding, included producing content with influencers, digital content that was distributed through those influencers, distributed through us. Uh, we created larger uh, brand films as well that were distributed through New Balance and ourselves. We created experiential events in seven cities around the globe. Mm -hmm. you know, so Do you co-brand that? It, again, it kind of depends very much on the cooperation that we do on the deal we do. For example, for Mercedes-Benz, we do a lot of their lifestyle video production, video uh, uh, production for Mercedes-Benz.com, for Mercedes-Benz uh, Facebook. They see a high benefit in it being co-branded because it allows them to enter a territory that they may not be able to as Mercedes-Benz themselves. Mm -hmm. you know, and you know, for us, it's, you know, depending on the brand partner, it's of course also a win. And so is distribution on your own platforms, whether it's your site or your, your social channels, always a part of it, or is it sometimes not a part of it? It is mostly part of it. You know, I think in the end of the day, people still work with us because either you come because you want that equity transfer, you want you know, the coolness that our brand brings to the table transferred to your brand, or you come to us, you know, if you're maybe a luxury brand, you want, uh, you know, you want to make that aspirational connection to a younger consumer that you may otherwise not be reaching. You know, I mean, Mercedes is a perfect example. Average uh, customer, I think, is 55 or 58. You know, so so they come to us, you know, to uh, introduce their brand to a to a younger customer. And I think the, you know, the the great thing that we can do that uh, the normal agency cannot do is really offer the production side of things, but then also very targeted distribution. And mm -hmm. therefore, I would say 95% of the time, any type of deal that we do with a partner still does include also distribution through our channels. Are you competitive at all to agencies with this? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to call it also, you know, you don't need to, um, you know, kill a fly with an elephant anymore. You know, we're, we're a publisher since 12 years, and we're, we're, what that means is, of course, that we understand, first of all, we understand trust, you know, I think that's something that, as a publisher, you live on that, you know, building up trust with your, with your audience. But also you understand that you have to efficiently produce content. You know, mm -hmm. we, I think we push out 
somewhere around 150 to 200 pieces of content every single day through our channels, non-branded. You know, just content that we produce for Heisnabidi as, as the publisher. And, and therefore, you understand that you have to produce content efficiently for Facebook, Instagram, you know, video, photo, all of these things. And that efficiency, we, of course, also then bring into the agency side of the business. And, you know, we can extend that. I think uh, the other thing is, you know, which kind of draws back to that, uh, to that equity of cool uh, thing again that I, was, that I was speaking about. I mean, most of the time we work with videographers, photographers that are part of this culture as well. So for them, it's also quite a big benefit to be published by Heisnabide, you know. So uh, I think that, again, offers us quite a lot of lean way and also, you know, quite a, quite a lot of negotiation room, you know, mm -hmm. when it comes to these, uh, you know, more production-heavy uh, jobs, so to speak, you know. So ultimately, we we can absolutely compete with uh, with an agency. I would actually say that we're most of the time probably cheaper even than the agency, mm -hmm. you know. And then on top of all of that, we of course have the media portion, uh, you know, which you know gives us a ton of margin, uh, which a regular agency doesn't have, you know, right. to add on top. So you know that makes it then again attractive to us also. So is this the vice model? Not exactly, because, you know, I, I think the main difference is, you know, uh, you know, Vice would also go out and pitch for a washing powder. You know, like it doesn't, you know, to them, they go into a deal purely as an agency. We always go into deals actually as, as the true hybrid. You know, we want to do the agency work, but for partners that suit us as a publisher. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think, I think that's probably the main difference. We're not necessarily looking to do... Although, if the, if the detergent comes with a big budget, you might... You know, I think, look, I, 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 won't, I, won't, I won't lie that, you know, it doesn't happen very often, thankfully. Like that we can we, make you cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll try, you know. Now, it doesn't happen very often that, uh, to, to be very honest, it doesn't happen very often that we have to, you know, decline jobs because something doesn't fit. You know, we're, you know, so far, uh, we've been pretty lucky that, you know, we can actually work with some of the best brands around the world. Yeah. So I would guess in your model, like display advertising, I mean, you have, a, you have a, a, a magazine too, but display advertising is a small percentage of how you make yeah, money. Yeah, less than 20%, yeah. Okay, and what, what are, what's the other parts? It's, I would say, like, first of all, if you look at, um, you know, agency versus publisher, you know, you know then we're about 50-50. You know, like if you had to, you know, uh, you know, split services into those two categories. Social plays an immense role for us. You know, we're very strong on uh, Instagram. It's especially, you know, coming from a fashion background, it's, of course, an extremely important tool for that market. So, so we do a ton of Instagram. We do a ton of Instagram story content as well for our partners. Um, then uh, .com placements are still very important to our partners. You know, again, feeds back to this whole, you know, being part of the Heisenbody universe, being seen on Heisenbody.com, mm -hmm. still very important. Um, and um, yeah, and then the rest of it is, is split between paid media across social um, and then production services, you know, yeah. maybe video, maybe photo. But also commerce photo. too, right? Sorry? Commerce. Commerce too is, uh, commerce is very much a growth field for us. You know, it's yeah. something that we started working on, uh, you know, with a bit more focus earlier this year in May. Uh, hired our first head of commerce as well. It's, 
technically, you know, it's, it's a market that we see as, as a significant, uh, with significant growth potential for us because we're brand founded in commerce, essentially. You know, people are going there to look for people that are stuff. going to, to find well, what's things the challenge? to buy. What's the challenge in, in getting that done? Well, I mean, one challenge is that a lot of commerce still happens on desktop. A lot of our audience is on mobile. You know, we have uh, about 70% uh, mobile audience uh, right now. Uh, we're finally seeing that uh, even though 70% of our audience is on mobile, 75% of our uh, commerce revenue is on desktop. Mm. So I think that's uh, one of the things that, uh, that we need to look into and solve. And... Um, and it's, you know, we still have to learn. There, there's still a big difference if people come to you, you know, uh, to just look at things versus, you know, people coming to you to actually shop or go shopping, you know. And uh, I think there, you know, there's still things that we just need to learn, you know, about how, how can you be the last click of the conversation. Right. Uh, you know, suddenly you're talking about com competing with coupons, you know, like things, things mm -hmm. that we've never dealt with before. Um, but we believe that uh, commerce should, or... Actually, commerce affiliate should probably be about 10% of, uh, of our revenue. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're also looking at commerce as a brand as well. You know? So that's also something we're looking mm -hmm. to launch uh, next year. We've done like collaborations. Exactly. So right. we've, we've done product before in the past. We've done product for our 10th anniversary for the most part. So we did sneakers with Adidas and Puma and we did sunglasses and Is that marketing or is that like money? It depends on the project, you know. <laughs> like so, I mean, with with the Adidas, the project was uh, was insanely uh, popular. You know, we I will never forget. We launched on a Saturday afternoon uh, with 400 sneakers in our um, in our storage, and 16,000 people tried to check out. Mm -hmm. So it was a very sad moment in my career because we didn't have 16,000 sneakers. So does that make you end up thinking, "Oh my God, we can make this brand into like the next Kith or whatever"? I mean, it's certainly, I mean, look, ultimately... But then you're getting into, like, warehouses and... I mean, it's, exactly, it gets messy, but ultimately, I still have to admit, you know, we're, we're in this for our love of product. So, I mean, you know, it, it does itch, you know, like, and, and it's, it's fun, you know, as, as much as I love being a digital-first publisher and, uh, and media brand, you know, I'm not sure there's anything that beats holding a physical product in your hand after, you know, that you have designed and produced and that you can put out there. So, um, so it's definitely a challenge that we're going to take on, you know, but even with warehousing and shipping and all of these uh, things that we actually don't really feel like dealing with <laughs> are part of it. But, uh, you know, it still excites us, uh, you know, as, a brand, as the brand hires somebody to also step into the physical world and uh, to see, you know, how much of our audience we can actually convert from readers into shoppers. Okay. Want to open up to questions? Got a couple minutes. After the break, David will take questions from the audience. Stay tuned. But right now, a quick break to tell you about Digiday Plus. It's our subscription product where you'll get the Digiday magazine, a lot of valuable research about the industry, and you will also get to be a part of exclusive member events and our Digiday Plus Slack channels where we hold town halls with industry leaders and innovators every other week. We'll make sure you stay on the pulse of every development in the industry. Please sign up. It's at digidayplus.com. What percentage of your business is you proactively going out and asking clients what they'd like you to help them with and versus... Uh, briefs that are coming to you from agencies or anywhere else. Sorry, if I understand correctly, how many clients come to us versus us going to them? Yeah. Um, 
It's a good question. I mean, it it really depends. I mean, obviously, you know, we're we're in a quite lucky spot where you know we we talk to a very specific consumer, and so we have a lot of brands coming to us, not necessarily for everything that they do, but for something very specific that they're launching. You know, so when uh, pretty much any fashion or lifestyle brand enters a space where they want to have a sort of a collaboration with an artist or with another brand or, you know, so that, that's sort of, you know, that's prime uh, territory for us, you know. So, so that's when anybody will proactively come to us. And even if it's, you know, a liquor brand, if it's a car brand, or, you know, the, the minute it's about reaching an influential young male audience, uh, that's, you know, when, when the brands really come to us. I mean, but I mean, obviously, we still we pitch a ton as well. You know, we uh, we also go out, especially when it's stories that we want to tell, and we, you know, we need partners to actually tell those stories. You know, that that still happens quite a bit as well. So, it's it's probably 50-50. You know, but we we have a lot of inbound, so you know, we we're very lucky. You know, when it comes to that, but we also go out and pitch. Mm -hmm. So you started off as a a media company. Yeah which I imagine you would have been doing quite a bit of work with media buying agencies sure. during that time. Since as you've become more of an agency yourselves, have you seen a decline in, on, in media buyers coming to you? I, I think one of the main reasons why we're able to do so much agency work with clients is because 80% of our business has always been client direct. So, you know, so we, you know, we were never that strong in the first place uh, on the media agency side. And then, uh, you know, when the market shifted into first native advertising and then uh, publishers creating brand studios, that was a very natural shift for us because we were already talking to the right people. And, uh, and that's, of course, when, you know, long-term relationships also come in extremely handy because they've known your brand, they've known me or others on my team, you know, for, for a very long time. So... Uh, because of course, as a brand, you'll do, you know, you'll place banners on a hundred websites to launch your campaign, but you're probably only going to do content with two or three partners because it's very, uh, you know, it takes a ton of time, it's a lot of planning, it's very granular, um, it's it's not something that you can do with a ton of people in the first place. Um, so yeah, but for example, client agency split for us is 80-20, and uh, and we would actually like to keep it that way. Yeah. Okay. That's all we have time for. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. To learn more about our summits, visit digiday.com slash events. For exclusive member events, sign up at digidayplus.com. And we'll be back soon with another episode.